This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the 2018 film Gotti. And although he did have the uh, support of all of the five boroughs of New York, those boroughs being Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, and the Bronx, uh, we decided we watch a different gangster film instead, the 1990 film Goodfellas. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cinematic Respect. I'm Charlie Wallace, and I'm your first co-host. And I'm Jessica Clare, your second co-host. Making a triumphant return <laughs> from an incredibly long hiatus. Hello, everyone. Well, you got married, Jessica. I did. So yeah. that's a good excuse. It is, and then I fell off face the earth, you know. <laughs> so, hello. As one does, mm-hmm. yes. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about the movie this week. Me this too. Is, uh, we haven't done any Scorsese yet. We this haven't, is our which first. is amazing, come to think of it. So as Charlie said, the movie we're talking about this week is the 1990 film Goodfellas, which is based on the true story of Henry Hill, who from a very young age wants to be a gangster. And so he starts um, driving cars, parking cars for the mob um, even before he's left school. And the movie follows his life uh, as well as his wife's, like their personal experiences living the day to day of being in the mob. As And so you get to know the, the people in the family that he's closest to. Uh, what their you know what their jobs entail, what their home lives entail, um, and it's a it's a story of I would say loyalty followed by betrayal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, obviously an amazing cast. Yes, including so we got Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta, yep. Yeah. So it would have been one of his, and not necessarily an earlier role, but like one of the ones that definitely made him famous. That defined, yeah, yep. defined his Joe career Pesci, definitely. Robert De Niro. Paul Sorvino. Yeah. It's a pretty stacked cast. You're right. Yeah. But anyway, today we have three folks who hadn't seen Goodfellas before, and they are Wes Richardson, Rick Vega, and uh, returning guest Doug Gobeski. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Glad to be here. Yo, yo. Good to be back on the show. So why Goodfellas? Is this... So first of all, am I correct? None of you had seen this, right? Yeah, that's correct. 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 How is this possible? Yeah. Have Have you seen other gangster movies, though? Or if you just avoided them entirely. I I mean, I half watched The Godfather at some point. <laughs> Jessica's shaking her head. She's upset. <laughs> I'm sure there's some gangster film I must have seen at some point, but oh, would you count Scarface as a gangster film? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually. I don't yeah, know, I've that, seen that's like my favorite one. one of my favorite movies. So this sounded pretty good. That's a no on Scarface from me, though. I'm like halfway through Sopranos right now. Oh, okay, it's, yeah. So I mean, so you were enjoying. It was kind of like many, a blind spot of your, of your cast members, just you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I had to like stop every like maybe like 20 minutes and be like, oh my gosh, there's Michael Imperioli, he's exactly. Chris in Sopranos, <laughs> and then uh, okay, he's dead. That's cool, I guess. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> Why did you choose this particular movie? I'm a sucker for good, uh, good, good film that involves violence, crime, just quite like I don't know, just a commentary on like human morality overall. I've been meaning to see Goodfellas, and I'm trying to catch up on like some of the mob movies and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I think like gangster movies kind of capture like an interesting cross-section of american culture and that you get the the scammer the blue collar worker and the um the gaudy suburbanite all in one which is interesting (laughs) uh kind of getting to the entire conceit of your podcast here um i'd seen a number of references to goodfellas online over the years and was kind of like i'm not sure i understand this reference because i haven't (laughs) seen goodfellas (laughs) So oddly enough, not references I've ever like gotten from my friends that I'm aware of, but just like in pop culture writings online and in in, like Twitter and such, Uh, you know, like people reference the the prison dinner scene. And I'm just like, I have no idea what that is. (laughs) And now I do. Did any of you have any expectations going into seeing this movie? I mean, I mean, obviously it's well known it's going to be, you know, a gangster film, but did you do you have any ideas? Did you expect it to be more like The Godfather or more like The Sopranos or more like any, you know, Scarface or I don't know, did you have any kind of a feel for it? Um, I mean, I heard it's kind of weird, but I think I mostly heard about like the central role of food in the movie to be quite honest, oh. which is a little odd, but 
I definitely heard that a bunch, probably in podcasts about food, but <laughs> regardless, that's that's what I heard. I think I had heard that it's uh, a movie for, it's basically the Dr. Pepper 10 of movies. Matt. <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> How? In that, I remember a few years back, there was some uh, article that got a lot of, uh, what do you call it, press? Is it still called press on social media? Sure. Clicks. Yeah. They got a lot of clicks Went viral. about how uh, how women just don't get good fellas. Well, on behalf of oh. my gender, I'm oh. going to say um, that's incorrect. Take it up with the New York Post. Ah. So you didn't like the Dr. Oh. Pepper 10 commercials? Jessica? No, no. So, yeah, that's some interesting uh, baggage to carry into this. Definitely. That's interesting to me because I, yeah. I guess I don't really feel like... I don't know that there should be a gender tie to whether or not you like this movie. It's not the quintessential bro flick for you? No, no. Sorry, you could definitely see yourself hanging out with your girlfriends and, I don't know, shooting people in the foot and whatnot? (laughs) Well, I I don't feel like I need to um, identify with the activities of the characters in the movie I'm watching in order to enjoy the movie I'm watching. So I think I could watch this movie with men or women and, uh, yeah, still still enjoy myself without ever feeling compelled to shoot someone in the foot. Uh, so, yeah, Goodfellas is not the first, nor is it nearly the last gangster film. It's really central to that sort of genre. So I guess I'm kind of interested to know how does this fit into what you thought a gangster movie was or should be? It progresses from their kind of like working class blue collar start where they're almost kind of like a Robin Hood of sorts to the like the logical conclusion of expressed masculinity in terms of like the Italian mob where they're they're always presenting this uh, hard out like kind of uh, chips on their shoulder, all this stuff, even though they express themselves in these gaudy designs. No, yeah. I mean, you're talking about specific things that are Pardon. in a lot of ways central to these sorts of films. But I, one contrast here is like, if you look at something like The Godfather, at least the first couple of films, I think the style of all of the characters is quite a bit different between the two. Like, yeah, you're right. They do kind of get into a little bit more gaudy territory in the 70s is that true of the godfather part one as well um i don't know i think i think if you watch michael progress Mm -hmm. over the course of the first in particular the first godfather movie he gets shinier Ah. all of his clothes get crisper (laughs) and shinier it's you know he's wearing you know pinstripes and he's you know silks and things like that by the end of the film there's more jewelry there's things like that so i think there was but i mean I was reading reviews of, of Goodfellas and, you know, while obviously was influenced by The Godfather, like they're super different because of the time periods of each, the time periods they cover, but also like the purpose of the story um, of doing like a the everyday feel. I think it really, they wanted to show you the everyday feel in Goodfellas. And so you got to see more of the like how I'm selecting my clothes, like how I want oh, to yeah. be presented. Like that was more, there was more time to focus on that since you're talking about kind of the day in the life versus focusing on a plot. And I liked it because it really does, I mean, to show, say, and in particular with the Henry character, it's very quick to ramp up to see him getting, you know, there was so much emphasis on selecting his clothes and and how about like how much of the total like stereotype of gangsters that we have nowadays comes specifically from this movie because i know i think i read something about one specific guy the guy who ends up on the meat hook yes and i read that too yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> was trying to sue the simpsons yes for like 250 million dollars something ridiculous something yeah. ridiculous yes because they had used his character <laughs> But my favorite part about reading that was that he claims they, like, got a feeling for his likeness because one of them, like, I don't know, he lived next door to somebody who wrote for The Simpsons. And I was like, they (laughs) couldn't just watch the movie and get a feeling for your likeness. (laughs) Wait, you're saying that the real life gangster? Well, actor who the played The actor him. who played the gangster. Wait, the actor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so not, even, so not even like the real better. life guy, but... No. No. <laughs> the actor was upset that one of the characters in The Simpsons was... He felt too closely based on his character from the movie. And he thought that this was worth a quarter of a billion dollars. That guy's character sucked, anyways. <laughs> <No kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're looking it up now, and we're like... The only thing I remember about him was that he had a 
really bad white guy fro, <laughs> and he got what was coming to him. <laughs> I don't know. His voice is amusing to me, but that's about it. As we go along, I feel like uh, we've got some uh, like guys that we like and guys that we don't like, and that's going to become very clear <laughs> <laughs> over the course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start out. Who's your favorite character? <laughs> the one you enjoyed following the most? You know, I think I think for me, the one that I enjoyed following the most but also hated the most was definitely Tommy, honestly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I hate and love him. Uh, I just hate Tommy. Tommy's terrible. He should have died a long time ago. <laughs> he is just awful. He's a loose cannon. Like, almost literally. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a wee bit dangerous, that one. Like, he shoots Spider in the foot. Like, you didn't need to do that. Come on, Tommy. And then he kills him. And then, and then he kills, kills him. I was going to say, I feel, I feel like the escalation. The first. I feel like the escalation to death <laughs> was really <laughs> rapid. <laughs> it's Michael Imperioli over there. Come on. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, so as far as influence, I mean, obviously there's the, the, the Godfather and then like you were saying earlier, watching The Sopranos, like how many of these actors went into that. So obviously that was that was mm-hmm. huge. I'm trying to think of other. Yeah, even like the smaller like side actors, like there's a few like almost like extras that were like huge roles mm-hmm. and like made guys and um Sopranos like I think Polly mm-hmm. in Sopranos is like just like a side character he in is. the 50s part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think Pussy's in it too. Yep, he is. Yeah, there's a couple other ones too. I can't remember, but because I, I saw a list, but I can't remember all the fringe ones. But obviously, the big players. But I just realized this now too. But it's it's interesting that uh, Lorraine Bracco. It's funny that she 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 plays in somewhat of a similar role in that she's kind of the established upper crust in some ways, uh, like kind of like suburbanite in kind of like conversation tight relations with a gangster and tries to justify that as like constantly throughout each so as as the psychologist she's kind of like almost condoning all of like tony's things while being the wife of henry she's kind of like enabling henry as well so it's interesting that she plays the enabler in both the Sopranos and Goodfellas. And then she had to know that too. I mean, as an actress, like I'm kind of going back to this same sort of role. It must've been fun. It had to have been fun. So I'd watched this, I think this is maybe the fourth time, third or fourth time I've seen the movie. And the first few times I'll admit that I kind of sleptwalked through it and just kind of let it wash over you. Yeah, exactly. Which is definitely a good way to watch it mm-hmm. sometimes. But this time it just really surprised me when Lorraine Bracco came in with her narration. I think that happens maybe about a half hour in. Yeah, it comes in earlier than I remembered. And the movie definitely plays it off like a surprise. Like you're not supposed to expect her to talk. At least that's the way I felt. Oh, Did really? anyone else get that impression? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because they had like the entire intro is just all Henry heavy. And uh, you don't really expect any other kind of like central voice to come in. I don't know. I'm trying to think watching it this time if i if i got that impression because i agree with you charlie i've seen this three or four times somewhere in that somewhere in that realm and um and because obviously i know that she was gonna be part of the narration i don't think i was surprised Mm -hmm. by it but i'm trying to think back to the first time and i just i don't remember they like lose her though like once things start picking up like they 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 kind of like show her as like kind of like looking on the gang life from the outside which she is and then once she becomes an insider, their her narration kind of like is lost. I mean, she kind of fades in and out, I guess, because there's a, there's a lot of ramp up to get her perspective before they're married, after they're married, and once she's truly initiated. And then I feel like she kind of fades in and out. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean that's what's happening in Henry's life is she's fading. True. Out most of the time, even though I expected it, I think it was supposed to be presented as like oh, now we're going to get this other perspective suddenly that you weren't expecting. We thought it was just going to be just Henry Ray Liotta for the entire yeah. thing. She's the only central female character. I mean, a handful of other females speak, but it's nothing mm-hmm. of consequence. Um, and I think as far as Lorraine Bracco is concerned, like I feel like she held her own with her screen time. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, she held her ground and you needed somebody... I don't know, with, I don't know, some bravado. I don't know how exactly how to say mm-hmm. it, but you need somebody Intensity. to be able to stand yeah. in there and, yeah. and, and take and take space. And I really like the first scenes where you see her going out with him very reluctantly and she's super quiet and all like timid. And then when she gets pissed off and is like 
you know, gets out of the car and is yelling at him in the street. And it just, it sets the tone for what their dynamic yeah. will be. And that's when he lights up too. Exactly. Right. He hasn't have any interest in her before she stood up to him. Yeah. But I thought she did. I thought she did a really amazing job. I mean, I, I yeah. cared what happened to her. I mean, I almost feel like this movie doesn't work without her. I think you really need what she brings to it. Otherwise, you just you just get really bogged down and it might seem very one note just following Henry the whole time. What? You don't want just a relentless slide into uh, a life of dissipation and <laughs> recklessness and violence? I mean, yeah, sure, you do get it anyway. But uh, imagine that, but without any respite whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really liked the two different perspectives in particular, like when they ramp up like their level of involvement, you know, from like the time they get married um, until um, her voiceover, you know, her her narration comments on how it was all normal. So I really I really appreciated like his perspective getting into it. I mean, he's excited. He I mean, what I really liked is that the movie's bookended basically by his comments about how much he's attracted to the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. As a kid, he's, you know, looking out the window longingly at just even the low level mob guys and the courtesies <laughs> they get yeah. to enjoy um respect? and then yeah well but it's respect and i mean just respect with a capital r tribute <laughs> yeah i mean like tommy bases his whole life around respect oh my gosh pretty yes. much yeah exactly so you know bookending that like at the end and that's what he misses the most is like the lifestyle and i think so that's what draws him in and then he's clearly turned off by the excessive violence but is is willing to kind of to stay in the mix to hold his own. Whereas Karen, you can see her coming in and just being totally disgusted <laughs> by the wives of the girlfriends of. Oh yeah, like yeah. I think that's one of my all time favorite scenes is her at that first. Party. <laughs> yeah, but then she becomes that yeah. though. Totally. She she yeah. tries. She thinks that she's resisting it for the longest time, and she is that though by the Completely. end. Completely. And if if not more. Because she's like doing blow, and yeah, like yeah, flushing exactly. it down the toilet and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> stuffing it down her pants. <laughs> but yeah, the the it's I don't know. It was just weird. Like watching them get married and they're like in love, and then they get to the like screaming at each other. He's routinely you know sleeping with somebody else. They get to a nice complacent place where she's like overlooking it, and then circling back to the scene you're just referring to, where she's like flushing blow down the toilet or whatever, and they like totally like dissolve and crumple to the floor together. Mm-hmm. And for me, I found that really surprising. I had a feeling of feeling like okay. This is by far like this huge deviation from what you would think of as a happy marriage, but they're like relying on one another. Like they're in that moment. Yeah, it's that's like, love. A, well, I don't know if it's so much love as desperation and fear, but whatever. They, they, it's love for Rick, though. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, that's, he's that's, a wild man. That's real right there. I don't Wake know. up in the club <laughs> with his girl. Hey, come on. You telling me that love ain't somebody that you can trust and, you know, be in it together yeah, at yeah. your worst hour. Yeah, be, um, real can, life anecdote here. Like when El Chapo got caught, and they yeah. asked his wife about his drugs, she's like, "What drugs are you talking about? He didn't do anything illegal." Like that's like the narrative that they're spinning is like this working class guys taking it from the rich, giving it to the poor. Everyone gets a little cut, and then they just like develop into this like gaudy. I think that's like the thing that I like really took with me is like. They like had this like narrative around them that was an underdog, even though they were nothing even close to that. I think you can see that like a lot in like American culture just in general just too. Like the hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like obsessed with the hustle, but they don't like really like do anything. <laughs> and I think you kind of hit it. I hit the nail on the head there, at least from my perspective, because I was looking this time. And one of the issues I've always had with this is that because I've been kind of sleepwalking through it, I haven't really thought about like, okay, what's this movie about? I think exactly what you said is the issue. It's like, well, I mean, there's I don't know. I guess I don't know that I thought they really had a goal other than just, you know, making money, being, you know, making money for their families, being important. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like. I mean, you weren't going to be those poor suckers that went to work every day. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, this is how you make it in America. And mm-hmm. these people in general don't have consequences, at least for the first three quarters of the movie. There aren't serious consequences, even when they go to jail. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Yeah. It's like a little hotel suite that they have and <laughs> wearing robes. My gosh. I How much do I love? It just makes me smile. Love watching Polly 
slice garlic with a razor blade. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Actually, that's a good question. What if you all were in a jail cell with your friends for five years or 10 years or whatever you got? Like, what would you wear? Would you just give up and just start wearing a robe all the time? Uh, tracksuit, for track sure. Suit? Yeah, just nothing but tracksuits. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would have to agree with Wes on this one. Tracksuits are not only stylish, but like they're yeah. comfy. They're for sure comfy. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why like mafia guys who don't have to look good for anything just wear them all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a team uniform as well. <laughs> yeah, how are you gonna know who not to shoot? That's what Tommy did. He saw the guy that's not in a tracksuit. Bam. Spider out, <laughs> Dunzo. Yeah, but it's all this ambition and the no consequences, really, until the end. And then he's still sorry that he's not doing it. Like he doesn't learn anything. <laughs> Nobody learns anything in this movie. No, I don't think anybody learns anything. But I don't. I guess I didn't think of it as the kind of movie where you were supposed to. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess <laughs> I don't for... think anyone's supposed to learn anything. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. That's what you learn. I think. I think for me. <laughs> What I liked so much about it was the way the day in the life feel. And I liked the way it was shot then because I liked that you had the voiceover. I like that you had the little freeze frame to like highlight moments that you're supposed to understand are like turning points for, for the for the main characters. And I liked that it was just like, how long can we do this and sustain it? Like you're going to run into the wall at some point. Mm hmm. Because if you think about all of your main characters, I mean, everybody hit a wall at some point. You're not, I mean, how many people get to just oh, go true. out living yeah. like the life you wanted? Yeah. You're going to be in jail. You're going to be in the suburbs. You're going to be dead. Like, this is. I would also contend, though, that this movie is a great litmus test for people that you know. Uh, this one, <laughs> yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street and The Sopranos, all three are great litmus tests because if you know someone who thinks that the main characters in any of those three movies are good people, then you know that you should not uh, be around that person much longer. <laughs> Honestly, okay, okay. I don't think that they're good people. I respect what they're doing, though. Like, I feel like I respect the hustle, man. I don't know. I'm not saying that they're good people. Yeah, but like, I think the the addiction to the hustle is like. I mean, it's part of American culture, and it's definitely like Capitalism. why <laughs> mafia. Yeah, I mean, like the mafia movies are super popular because they embrace this hustle with the escape from any kind of like sacrifices involved with the hustle, yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, but, where they just get okay. to hang out with their friends and make no, food see, all day. But it's like it's like for for like Goodfellas, it was weird because you know like he, Henry still has like a huge tie to his family. Like he went to go pick up his brother in the middle of like a drug deal that was happening. Yeah. But like, like he, it's like know. family's still like such a big value to them. Like it's it's kind of like that's why I respect it because like they are, yeah yeah. But like what does that what does it like mean though? Like what are you? He, they're good guys. Like, they're good fellows. Like I don't know, <laughs> dude. You hardly ever see oh Henry. You hardly ever see Henry having quality time with his children. I mean, there's like yeah, what are their names? Like he's in prison, and, you know. Yeah, Honestly, that's <laughs> yeah, a good Rick, point. What are their names? <laughs> oh, that is yeah. That's really yeah. all you need to know about him as a father. You know, they're they're eaten. They have a house to live in. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. yeah. That's a lot. I mean, like says. that's yeah. that's how they like. So okay, so that's exactly why. That's how they justify their position in life. Is that they are just putting putting food on the table. For their families, but at the same time, the schmucks who work for a living are stupid idiots who couldn't figure out this stuff that I do that is really smart, cool, and very awesome and very cool and still very cool. And I get to kill people, and uh, that's a okay (laughs) as long as I'm the one doing it. Like, it's totally egocentric. And it is antisocial as all hell. So, like, uh, I mean, wait, how, but he's with his friends all the time. Yeah, it's antisocial. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying, like, in terms of like any kind of like larger, oh, like, okay. like in the grander scheme, societal. Of yeah, I mean, like, so it's like anti-society. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but <laughs> I mean, like, it's and it's misanthropic at best. Yeah, but I mean, there I are say. cases where people like that are like philanthropic. Like, there's examples of like. Um, what's his name? Pablo Escobar literally helping out an entire like an entire community in Colombia. Yeah, yeah. But That's, I mean, like you know, some of these people are good people. It's just like the situations that they're put in. I mean, I don't know about Henry because he just liked the lifestyle. Like, I mean, yeah, but like, how good is the person who kills like hundreds of people? Like, 
I mean, how good could they possibly? And also, wait, are they just just hundreds? I mean, like. I mean, we only Pablo Escobar. Okay, people. I don't think Pablo oh, Escobar killed oh, anyone. His team sorry. is. He? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Okay. We, we digress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, the, the last thing I was going to say is uh, sometimes those things in charity and like are just justifications of themselves in the community. So like they're justifying their role even further. So I mean, like I think like most of the things in mob movies are. Around the rationalization of their like existence. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feels like it's either you you play the game or get played in, in their case. In well, that's what they, they they tell themselves. It's like a rationalization for themselves, yeah, not true. necessarily the reality of the world. Well, right. I think okay. I think each each of the main players that you see is in it for a slightly different reason. I mean, Henry's in it because he wants to live the lifestyle. Jimmy's in it because he genuinely enjoys the thrill of stealing. Of like the planning and the execution and knowing that you got away with something and that people just have to deal with it. And I think that Tommy's in it because he needs to be respected. Yeah, he's definitely <laughs> he got a complex. He needs to be unchallenged. Like, yeah, he has like that little, uh, what is it called? Little man syndrome? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. pretty yeah. tiny too. So it's like, yeah. he gets like super heated over everything. Yeah. Cast and sure. and yeah. Polly, I think Polly is in it as it started as a way to take care of his family and then family became a much broader term. What his job was, was simply providing protection for people who couldn't get that from the cops. Right. And so it was just, it was purely a business venture. I think for him, it was significantly less personal. Whereas I think each of the three main characters, like the Henry, Jimmy, and, and Tommy, it's, it's not just business. And as like the movie progresses too, like later on, Polly kind of just like he comments on how like they're in it for the wrong reasons. Like, and he keeps telling Henry to like not do like, especially the drug dealing stuff. Like, he's like, yo, you should avoid this. Like, so I guess it's, it's like alluding back to like the traditional, like, like what you're saying, like why they got into this. Yeah, place. but wasn't he just doing that so that he didn't catch heat, right? Like, he was saying, I mean, there's, yeah, I guess there's always gonna be, he was just saying it so that he, because he was like on probation, right? Like, and he knew that it could come back to him. I think that was more self-serving than anything. The uh, the thing about Polly and like the newer guys is kind of like interesting in terms of like the arc of Godfather, Goodfellas, Sopranos, I guess. And it kind of like begs the question of like, how do you think Martin Scorsese necessarily sees these, like this institution just in general? Does he view it in kind of like this same arc where it was respectable and like a instrument of like kind of like I don't know, communal justice, the arc of like the Jimmy's and Henry's and Tommy's uh, doing it for their own, like whatever selfish or otherwise reasons. And then this kind of like, I don't know how to fit the Sopranos necessarily into that, but I don't know. It's like a continuation, I think. I think it is hard to figure out what Scorsese really thinks about someone like Polly, because I agree. Like, I think that's, the reason he's doing things is for his family and to protect them or whatever. But do you think the movie really comes down as damning against him in any way? Yeah, I don't know. Polly actually kind of comes out like a good guy, in my opinion. And I don't mean like a good fellas kind of way. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I think like, I mean, he's, I don't know. It, it sounds ludicrous because obviously we're talking about violence. We're talking about, you know, this this horrible business, right? But he treats it like a business. He's he's going to work. Like, is what Polly doing that different from what a soldier might be doing? They're doing something that they believe in, and yeah, some violence happens to be in the mix. I definitely got the impression from Polly that he was a kind of guy who, like, he knew where the line was and what you needed to do to not cross it. And, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is uh, near the end of the movie, Henry's criticism of him where... You know, Henry basically says, you know, you gave me that speech when I got out of the slammer about not getting into, you know, dealing drugs and stuff. And it's like, what am I supposed to do? I can't I clearly can't go back to you for any sort of, you know, support or advice or stuff. And like, I felt like that was very valid criticism of Polly. Like, yeah, he's, you know, trying to create this whole criminal empire and stuff, but he's trying to do it on his terms. And meanwhile, the times have changed and he's simply not appropriate for what the modern what the modern era requires. He's got a very rigid code. And how does empathy fit into that or does it at all? It's a great point. I I guess I never really got the 
the sense that he had much empathy. The, the thing that's funny, and I think I think being the kind of person I am, especially in the beginning of the movie when you're being introduced to Polly, I most identify with him because he's extremely careful and he's developed this this code um so that it can be the lifestyle can be sustained as long as possible so like in the beginning when they're explaining that like he never talks to anybody except the most senior guys and he only ever talks to them one at a time because he never wants anyone to overhear what like people are saying to him or what he's saying in return he doesn't make phone calls he doesn't you know what i'm saying like his life is very buffered and very protected and so of course to somebody like me i'm like all right well if i was going to do that like that's clearly the right way to be that's the right way to do it and then when you get introduced to the other guys and their own like selfish motivations like obviously tommy being like the complete opposite of the spectrum like i feel like anxiety the whole time tommy's on screen i'm like oh god what is he gonna do like <laughs> he's gonna ruin everything the entire time yeah <laughs> It, it does. does, yeah. <laughs> You're talking about how he's only willing to let certain people talk to him. Mm-hmm. So I love that aspect of the filmmaking where he starts telling Henry to do things. So like he comes into that inner circle just by being able to talk with him or talk with him about business. Well, I think he likes Henry because Henry keeps his mouth shut. That's true, yeah. <laughs> For the time being. Before we digress from Polly, I just wanted to bring up that one scene where uh, it's Polly, Jimmy, and they're talking to Henry about how he's got to go back to his family. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, you know, we're not saying that you can't do what you want. Hey, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> whatever you do is okay with us, but you got to go back. Come on, come on. <laughs> it's just like that, that. That whole exchange is just like perfect, just like dumb guy, like giving like friend advice thing where it's like, Hey, I'm not telling you what you should do with your life, but I mean, come on, come on. Like, it was just like, that scene was absolutely hilarious. Like uh, I lost it on that one. This is a really funny movie too. Like, I don't know if we've really gotten into that until just now, but uh, you were mentioning at the beginning at the top of the episode, uh, food, how this was associated with food, but it's that dinner scene with, uh, Tommy's mother, which is probably oh my gosh, I love that scene. The funniest scene in the movie for me. <laughs> and that scene was almost entirely improvised, and it's and it's Martin Scorsese's mother, which makes it so much more adorable. <laughs> but seriously, I love, I just love, like you know, they come walking in. He's just beaten the crap out of the one maid guy, Billy Bats. Billy Bats. Billy Bats. He's I think ar- he's I mean, dead. They They think think he's he's dead. dead. Oh, yeah. They totally think he's dead. So they come in the house and, you know, he's trying not to wake his mother. But just like the back and forth and then the casual like, hey, Ma, do you mind if I borrow this knife? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) No questions. Well, it's perfect, too, because they already showed you what he did with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, I love, I don't, I, the random excitement and discussion about her painting uh-huh. made me laugh out loud because it was just so just like the weirdest thing about this scene though is random. that we talked earlier about family right and the family is not the real families right sure. or the actual biological family it's like all of them hanging out together right that's sure. what it really seems like is important to them except this scene where you actually <laughs> see this sort of grandmother and tommy and like how well they get along and how much they love each other it's really the only scene i can remember in the movie that's quite like that the rest well, of the time, it's just people broing out. Well, no, but they show that. I mean, they, they don't they don't spend a ton of time with it, but they do show that the family gets together for all birthdays, they all do. holidays, they all do, whatever, yeah. and that that's the only people they socialize with. Yeah. So I, they didn't dwell on it. I agree with you, Charlie. I think mm-hmm. this is the only scene where you actually get to see interactions, with maybe the exception of their wedding. There's little snippets at their but reception, is, but it's brief. This is one of those movies, though, where there's a lot of difference between what they say and what is actually going on and the movie i think because the movie doesn't show them really doing or dwelling with their family at all that it's kind of saying like okay is that they say it's super important and going back to that scene where jimmy and paul are saying like well you got to go back because that's just what you do right because it's what's expected of them and i'm not sure they really care about their families their biological families as much as they say no i agree with you i don't think it's that they care so much about them but they care about well, there's several different things. It's one, it's it's appearances. Yes. And two, uh, there's safety, because if she's all fired up and mad, who knows what she's going to go shooting her mouth <laughs> <Right>. off about. <laughs> and um, and then also just the, it's what you do. So I think, yep. I mean, a couple of things, but yeah, definitely what it looks like from the outside is a component. But it's, yeah, one of the only scenes that makes me kind of like Tommy a little bit. I mean, we like him because he's funny. They're like, oh, what a nice mother he has. Funny how, Charlie. <laughs> Funny how. 
Like a clown? (laughs) (laughs) So I have a question that just occurred to me. So obviously we've been talking about violence and all of that. So how much do we see the Henry character be violent himself? There's obviously the early scene where he beats up the guy that assaults Karen. We see him assault Karen. Yeah. we do see that. But not... I mean, I mean, he's they don't clearly they don't have an abusive relationship where he's like continuously beating on her, hitting Mm -hmm. her. She held a gun in his face. Yeah. He slapped her around and shoved a gun in her face. You see him throw a lamp at her, but definitely like over her head. But that's about it. I'm trying to think what other times you see him be violent to somebody else personally. Yeah. Even the scene that starts the movie where we see Billy Bats in the trunk. Mm -hmm. It's that's Tommy and Jimmy, I think. Yeah. I don't think he does anything. He doesn't do anything. He opens the trunk. The interesting thing I noticed this time is that when they're burying the body, so they have to go back to bury the body again because there's going to gonna be it. some sort of development there. Yeah. Oh, God, it was but, terrible. Um, he's the one that when they're reburying it, like goes aside and vomits. He's puking. Right. He's puking. And the other two are just making fun of him for it. So it's it's weird that he seems like this very hard character, but you're right. Like there's not a lot of violence you see he's from him. He's in it for the lifestyle. Yeah. Not the violent part. No, I have a question about that, though, because he's the narrator. (laughs) So do you think he's maybe just conveniently excluding all of his violence from the from the movie, from his telling of the story? Movie is based on a book called Wise Guy that was based on an actual guy named Henry Hill, who very well may have done that (laughs) in his retelling of the story suppose it's possible yeah but i mean he's pretty honest about you know doing all the drugs and yeah the betrayal and the whatever other things that you should be ashamed of as well and he's super super honest about participating in like the lufthansa heist and like all of these things yeah. like I don't know. bragging about that stuff yeah. yeah but to be fair he did get like booked for those things like before telling the story uh, yeah yeah so any like any bodies that are buried that are have his I don't know if you would necessarily share in the book. But also, I, I don't know if necessarily Scorsese would let that dictate his own like interpretation of it. If you listen to the narration, most of the things that he says, like the fact like this thing happened and this thing happened, all that stuff happens in the movie for the most part. But if you listen to his interpretation of things, it's often a little bit off of what's really happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting what you're saying, Doug, but I... I think that often what the movie is showing is a little bit different than what he's actually saying in the narration. There's one specific thing that I thought was really funny this time, which was when he has that bag of guns yes. that he's going to give to Jimmy. Uh-huh. He goes to his house and the narration says like, oh, I knew Jimmy wasn't going to take the guns or whatever. He's kind of screwing me over, but what am I going to do? And he leaves. But the reason he doesn't take the guns is because they don't fit the silencers. So he got the wrong guns. <laughs> Like, he's royally screwed up, and Jimmy says, like, you know, you're all strung out. Like, yeah, basically, like, stay leave. off the drugs, man. So it's it's his interpretation of what went on there, despite the fact it was really him who screwed up. That happens in a few other places in the movie, too. I, know, I just thought it was interesting that he didn't specifically seem particularly violent. Yeah, that is, yeah. You do have, like, very distinct characters in this. They're, they're all friends, but they're not at all the same. The same person. Uh, we haven't talked about music yet. So it's Martin Scorsese, which means music is going to play a, a big factor yeah. in here. I love as it. a soundtrack, yeah, not like an original score. So yeah, what do you think? I personally, honestly, I can't really remember the soundtrack all that well. Just on the first go around, I think I, I don't know if I speak for all of us, but it's nothing's really sticking out for me right now. Um, I assume that as a movie, it had music in it. <laughs> it blends very well the music does because you don't really notice it i mean i thought what was interesting is that he scorsese liked to pick a song whose lyrics referenced the scene that you're watching yeah and he's really well known for doing that but i i don't actually disagree with you guys and i one of the reasons is because there's so many movies after this that do the the same sort of thing like it influences so many movies after it that and like all of these songs are very popular songs too so it's the sort of thing like oh well give me shelter is playing so you just kind of tune it out a little bit i think he uses it in some of his other movies too or uh, the one that still sticks out to me though is when they play layla over the that's what uh, i was gonna say come on i mean when they're showing all the bodies of everybody jimmy's you know had killed yeah it's so good 
I just really like that it, they each fit the era. So like as time is passing, like the music mm-hmm. fit the time period as well. And so I, I don't know. I felt like that helped me feel like time was passing. And uh, of course, they had to finish with I did it my way. I don't no idea if it's true, but I saw something on the internet that said that they I think his first choice was to use the Frank Sinatra version, but that he couldn't get permission to. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know <laughs> I if that's like true. I'd actually yeah. like to believe that it was picked this way intentionally because yeah. it suited. And I felt like if you did the if you did the Frank Sinatra one, it would be reverting back to the like the older, like the poly generation. And I kind of like that this was pushing forward. Yeah, but if you want some sort of indication about whether he cared about the music he put in, if you watch the credits, because instead of a scrolling credit, it's mm. like static shot and yeah. then the next shot. And each transition is lines up with the phrasing of the song. Yes. Most movies don't attempt to do that at all. They just roll the credits however they want and put songs over it. But. Yeah. Well, and the, the last scene with Tommy, you know, shooting the gun straight at the camera was a nod to another movie. Oh, like, so yeah. So he does little, I saw that. little touches, you know. Yeah. It's a great train robbery. Yes. Wait, what scene? The very, very end of the movie, Tommy facing the camera, pointing the gun directly at the camera and firing. Which is weird, right? Because he's already dead. He's already dead, yeah. And he's in an alley wearing a hat or something. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's completely separate from the rest of the film. You're like, what? what is going on? Yeah. Did- it's very quick. Mm-hmm. Are we sure we watched the same movie? <laughs> we're, we're pulling it up on YouTube right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait. Oh, whoa. Yeah, it's quick. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I just remembered Henry yeah. saying bye. I, yeah, I was I reading remember. trivia before I rewatched this, and I thought they had screwed up the name. Like, it, at that point in the movie, it must have been Ray Liotta who did it. And they're like, it wasn't Tommy. And like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is something that was in here. Mm-hmm. But I think it was also supposed to be emblematic of the fact that um, Henry Hill, like, yes, he's in suburbia or whatever, but he's going to have to be like looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life. I mean, obviously, Tommy's dead and whatever, but basically like this kind of person is going to be looking for yeah. you. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, to me, that was kind of flimsy, but it was better than the nothing. That's kind I of have. how I interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it turns out he did just fine. I think he died a few years ago. Of, um, of like heart problems. Yep. He was as surprised as anyone else that he hadn't been yes. <laughs> hadn't been killed. Yeah. Well, I mean, heart problems, a lot of blow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just to catch up with you. <laughs> the lifestyle kind of caught him in one way or the other and just happened to be that way. Fair enough. I also read that Jimmy died in jail. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Because I guess this was made in 1990, so when they gave the updates, that was the updates as of 1990. Yeah. Now he died. Well, I mean, yeah, I'd read that he died in jail of lung cancer. Oh, yeah. Shouldn't have stole all those cigarettes from the truck. No. Nope. <laughs> Lesson learned, children. Yeah, there was an anti-smoking message hidden in there the whole time. <laughs> you just didn't know it. He knew it was up. Uh, another thing this movie does that is somewhat unique, it happened before, but is very obvious in this film is... There's a lot of freeze frames, yeah. freeze frames with narration. And that's something we get a lot after, but in pop culture, but I think it's in a lot of ways because of this movie, you know, like, oh, here's a freeze frame. Let me explain to you what's happened. And there's supposed to be moments that are really formative for him or very important. It's like, all right, let's stop here and I'll tell you what's going on. Catch you up. Yeah. Yeah. Just like in Deadpool, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's <the> one. <laughs> and then they, they, they thought it was so great. They did it again. And then just the number of scenes in this movie. Like, it's a lot of stuff that maybe you get a shot that's five or six seconds, and then you move on to something else, like showing the progression of time. Like, it, it's very quick. Yeah. Well, and in reading backstory stuff, I mean, that's the feel that Scorsese wanted is because it's not about any one thing you know it's not a there's not a plot it's like it's about a specific story it's it's the experience and so he wanted it to come fast and to be really detail rich you know so that there's there's lots of people there's lots of stuff being said there's uh every scene there's a lot of things it had to have taken a lot of time for whoever designs you know all the houses and all the rooms and all the cars and all the outfits and whatever because everything was just stacked in and laden Mm -hmm. and it was just supposed to be this like i don't know like gritty texture of what everything feels like day to day i read something potentially ridiculous that um jimmy's character that de niro um 
he had for every suit that he wore as the character, there was a matching pinky ring. I don't know. It, it, it just like trying to create the persona to have the feel. There was something else I read that like they insisted on when they're handing out all the money, like, you know, and there's so much money flashed about whatever, that they wanted to use real bills because they wanted to feel them in their hands opposed yeah. to like the fake money. It's like the swagger of it trying to build it in so they could carry it off better because yeah. they were actually feeling the richness of it all. So was that real blow? <laughs> <laughs> well, if they wanted to be authentic. <laughs> it was the 90s? Yeah. Actually, if it was the 90s, it was probably heroin, but... Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to go back and revisit that tracking shot where uh, Henry and Karen are going into the club, because it is just such a long, long shot. Oh, yeah. You know, like, they're going... They're going in through the back, like through the kitchen where you see a whole bunch of immigrants working, you know, actually making the food and stuff. And, you know, like it is just so long and crowded before they finally get to the front. And like for me, at least, it kind of gave you this this kind of feeling like, yeah, this guy really does have an in here. Yeah. Yeah. Like like he's in deep. Yeah. And the timing of it, too, is also to give that same illusion and i mean the timing even just in terms of like how to do that shot is incredibly impressive i really liked it that i mean it starts with them bypassing the the lines outside Mm -hmm. and walking this door and as he's streaming through he's either handing money or saying hi to people so clearly he knows them all and then the best part being that when they do enter into the actual copa you know they actually enter in whatever that you see a table like get lowered down you know like somebody's carrying it in and drops it down in front of all the other tables directly in front of the stage and it's like oh here sir here's your table like it wasn't there waiting for them it was added because he showed up yep mm-hmm. it was very impressive yeah and karen's coming in with them and that's that's it right that's well that's they're both in it that's what that's... the economy of respect will get you yep <laughs> Yeah, you can't buy a table like that yeah, with anymore. regular money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gotta go around shooting at people's feet for that kind of view. <laughs> what did everybody think about the fact that neither Henry nor Jimmy can ever be made men? Like, they're two of your main characters the story's being told through, and they're not 100% Italian. They can never be fully integrated the way that, you know, Polly and Tommy and the other guys can. Yeah, I mean, like, it just goes back to, like, kind of, like, all that, like, immigrant respect stuff and the culture of respect and uh, you need blood in you for a certain kind of respect. Um, but I think they, like, they're, like, the people that break the mold where it's, like, respect isn't bound by blood or, like, categorization. Like, anybody can earn the respect. Like, even if they're not made men, like, they're still highly respected and they kind of, like, break that, like, down. Like, the whole, like, concept that you have to be fully Italian, fully Sicilian to be respected and, like, add into the mafia. Like, yeah, they can't be made, but, like, they're still held in high regard. I guess to me, I just thought it was interesting at that point that it was, like, um, an outsider's perspective. Like, somebody who was on the outside and wanted to be... Yeah, to be in to become that and get that you get that extra separation between them and Polly, like that we were talking about earlier about specifically, you know, just their belief systems. But mm-hmm. here it's like, well, you can't even be a, as respected as you might want to be in this group. Like you'll never be really a part of it. Yeah, I just to me, I just I really like that you took it from from Henry being a kid, like wanting that. And he's going to get as close as he can and do it for as long as he can. And then to see Jimmy, where I didn't get that sense right away. Like, I understood that Jimmy was also, like, Irish or whatever. And so he he couldn't fully be part of it. But I didn't get the sense or the understanding of how important it was to him until you saw how excited he was yeah. that Tommy was going to be made. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't see that from his character until that moment. And then I was like, oh, man, he's excited. <laughs> yeah. Polly is the only, like, guy. Like, upper mob guy the rest of the characters are just mid-tier generally so i think that that clear like that clarification between made and not made isn't something that really like presents itself in the movie as any kind of block until it's used i guess by the upper echelon people yeah i i do want to point out i think that he said uh or sorry i think henry said that Tommy's about to get made and it's, you know, as good as all of us getting made. Yeah. You know, cause basically they're, they're all bros. They're all in it together. Yeah. 
Which is also interesting because it's at the height of Jimmy's paranoia as well, involved with the um, with Danza. Yeah, was that the the yeah? Yes, the height. Um, yeah. So like that was at the height of his paranoia, but yeah, I, I don't know what that necessarily any deeper meaning than that. But at the height of his paranoia, they were still kind of like boys. A lot of people walked out of test screenings for this movie because of the the portrayal of violence. There's a lot of people getting killed. There's a lot of blood. Some blood had to be taken out of the movie in order to actually have it be released at, I'm, I guess, an R rating mm-hmm. even. Um, how did we all feel about that, though, being that it's 2019? Did it have the effect? So that it's- yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, no. I mean, generally pretty tame. Not much more than any other movie with an R rating these days. Uh, I almost feel like like for me, the one which sticks in my memory the most was when they're killing Billy Bats. And that almost felt more like it was being played for laughs than like visceral horror or disgust. Yeah, it's it's one of these really weird scenes because you're right. They are kind of they do play it for laughs. It's like what's going on in the trunk? Oh, it's the sky we have back here. And then you get the freeze frame and saying he always wanted to be a, a, gangster, a gangster, right? So this played for laughs, but. I agree, like especially the stabbing that happens there is the movie starts out with at least for me the like the most violent part, mm-hmm. which is where Tommy stabs Billy Bats like five or six times with the kitchen knife. Well, let me let me be clear. I agree with Rick here that it's pretty tame. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Like by today's standards, okay. yeah, there's yeah. If, okay. if you go there's back, more. there's only five or six people who are actually killed on screen. Yeah. I th- Obviously, you're aware of more. <laughs> I'm just saying that the stabbing is the only thing that affected me in the whole movie. So I was glad that it oh, was okay. there. Eh, okay. I'll have to say that it's just maybe it's just a thing about me getting stabbed. No, well, and that's what I'm almost wondering because my Maury getting stabbed. My my <laughs> my flinching was more with the beating. I have a harder time watching people beat a human yeah. um, than with some of the other ones, which is interesting. But like, yeah, them watching. Well, obviously, Tommy has the crazy temper, right? And he goes over and starts beating on Billy. And but I was not expecting Jimmy to hop in mm-hmm. and to hop in as aggressively as he does, and so that definitely had an effect on me. Like I was, yeah, you don't because yeah, you see later that he really cares about Tommy because of the whole like excited for him to be made. But that's the only way you get that relationship ahead of time. Is like, oh well, Tommy's beating up the sky. I'm going to jump in too, or like I got your back. I'm laughing at him when he's shooting Spider in the foot. Right, it's all of these sort of like violent acts that are kind of bringing them together until later yeah it's surprising oh uh i think when he was shooting spider both in the foot and then to death (laughs) i was kind of i think we were all kind of watching like no tommy what the f are you doing what is wrong with you (laughs) yeah yeah very much dial it back man and i love that jimmy's clearly upset when he kills him because it's a mess you know like this is a like obviously there's gonna he's related to somebody they're gonna have to tell you know somebody that are related to this kid like are going to find out and it's going to be this problem not to mention the immediate problem of cleaning it up and mm-hmm. i love that when he's so mad he's like you're digging the hole <laughs> like it was yeah. like grounding your child like that was the all that tommy had to and do Tommy's like i don't care i've dug holes before. exactly it was the first hole i dug and then that's it <laughs> but i mean that's honestly like you're like i'm really mad at you go dig the hole that was surprising to me but I, th- I think some of the humor in that first scene that you mentioned was the 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 clashing of the violence with the narration and the and the humor. But at the same time, yeah, it's not. We've seen worse. I think. I don't know. I think I think by 2019 standards and that and well, everything that this movie influenced after it, I this seems tame by comparison. I mean, if I think about the violence I've seen in The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or you The Wire. Det- I mean, I'm trying to think of all these like things that were yeah. influenced by this type of... Do you think that detracts those from the TV, message though. of the movie? Oh, sorry. I guess that is all TV, but those are all the ones that came to mind right away. <laughs> I'm sorry, Charlie. Do you think that detracts from the meaning of the film to not have the violence affect us as much? No. You still think it works? I still think it works. I just think that it's all, I mean, it's, it's very heavy handed now. So this now seems tame, but I still yeah. think it works. Yeah. I don't know. I think actually now that I'm thinking about it, there were a few parts that were pretty, pretty brutal. Like Maury getting stabbed in the back of the throat. Oh, yeah. Pretty bad. Nah. Oh, yeah. Um, Tommy's death is pretty, 
I mean, it's surprising. Like, and, yeah. His face is blown out, I guess. It was more of your his face than you would expect. And then Henry beating the neighbor kid's face in. But I mean, I think those are like the three main ones that I remember. Uh, but, you know, I'm t- I guess I think of Casino and it's mm-hmm. been years. I mean, years since I've seen that movie. But the one thing that stands clear, clear in my mind is Joe Pesci killing a guy with a fountain pen. Yeah, Like yeah. that is emblazoned on my brain forever. And, and so I think violence can, you know, tell the story. All right. So now having watched this movie, what did you think? Is this something you'd recommend to other people? Was it a good experience for you? Yeah, yeah. I think it was um, it was really good. I don't know if I would necessarily watch it again. I'm a little adverse to watching three-hour movies. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it when I saw it. It kept the pace very well. I mean, I wouldn't tell people it was a snooze by any imagination. So... Yeah, definitely at the very least, you know, gratuitous violence, well-paced movie. Yeah, I mean, I like a good moving picture the as much as the next guy. And <laughs> for the most part, so you liked the, all the, uh, frames the movie in succession, he, he you know, like, like for the most part, the movie continued to show new frames every second, <laughs> you know, not always. If but, it's only uh, showing a frame per second, I. <laughs> no, no, Many no. I'm saying, I'm saying mostly, well, mostly every second contained new frames. Yeah. Sometimes they didn't. Yeah. You didn't like the freeze frames. So, sometimes they reused <laughs> fair, them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, like I said, the running time before we had to watch it in second uh, bursts where Doug would take it in, close his eyes and say, OK, I'm ready for the next second. Here we go. <laughs> oh, man, that uh, was taking days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It took from Saturday night to Tuesday evening. So it was, it was a good time. Yeah, no, we, we planned ahead for that one. But it's a fun movie. It's bros being bros and having fun, living large. <laughs> I recommend it to anyone who's looking for a good time. Just being funny. Just being real <laughs> funny out here. Yeah, like like clowns. <laughs> Clowning around. <laughs> yeah, that should be the, the, the subtitle of this movie. Clowning around with your friends. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was a great movie. Um, again, I agree with Wes. It was a little too long, but I tend to have a very short attention span when it comes to movies. Um, but yeah, I kept up a good pace and it kept it interesting. So, yeah. I don't know. I think watching it this time for the show, it actually made, I mean, I already liked it, but I think it actually made me like it a lot more because I, um, like you said, Charlie, like watching it previously, I think it's kind of let it wash over me. Whereas this time, I think I much more appreciated what Scorsese's goal was, which was to give you like a tactile feel of living this lifestyle. There's not too many stories that do that and do it really well. Like I definitely felt like the um, like the excitement of having all like the indulgences to where it was now getting to be too much. And now he's, you know, he's risking a lot with the drugs. He's doing drugs himself. And it's it's all tainted. Like, and you feel it go that direction. And I don't know, like, I don't know. I rode the whole thing and I just, I valued it more this time. I don't think I have anything to add more than anyone else said, except that I kind of agree. It got a little bit long in the middle. I mean, I, I must feel a little bad saying that because it's like such a classic movie and i do enjoy it quite a bit but it's yeah that middle section i think after he gets out of jail the first time Mm -hmm. there's just a long period where you know maybe it could have been like a two hour 15 minute movie but that's i don't feel it's a very solid complaint (laughs) i don't feel good saying that but i'm being honest too much stuff of jimmy being concerned about ball busting (laughs) yeah no kidding (laughs) so Wes, Rick, Doug, thank you very much for being on the show. And you've watched a movie that uh, we thought you should watch. Now's your chance to tell the world something you think they should experience or something they should watch. Um, But yeah, so I think the second season of Atlanta just dropped on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw in a Pitchfork article, it was described as the Twin Peaks of Black culture. And, uh, yeah, there's a couple episodes on there that are just incredibly funny. And there's a couple that are uh, incredibly funny and sad. So, good stuff all around. 
And so I'm going to recommend the show that I've, I recently just finished. I just finished it yesterday. It's it's called You. It's on Netflix. It's like a thriller. It's like a super like it keeps you on edge because like this dude is like stalking this like woman, and it's crazy like the lengths he goes to. Um, but yeah, no, it's very interesting, and it got pretty decent ratings. So is that yeah, the one that like that. I think on Netflix like the when it automatically plays the preview for it's that creepy guy like talking to you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, maybe it's I'll a, give it a yeah, shot. It's pretty good. Doug uh, is going to recommend Detective Pikachu for everyone out there. <laughs> His favorite. You should have seen him when he came to the office. He was like, he he made everyone stop working and said, uh, come to my screen. And we're like, okay, all right, this is kind of weird. And he's like, look at this magnificent trailer that we're all going to go see. And I've already <laughs> bought tickets to. And we're like, okay, Doug, I guess we'll do that for you. But uh, this is really just because we're friends, not for any um, enjoyment <laughs> our end. So Doug doesn't have to say anything. Uh, I'm cornering the mic. <laughs> for, for reference, most of what he said was incorrect. <laughs> Most, just just most. You wouldn't want me to lie, would you? <laughs> but no, I think the movie that I'm going to recommend is the 2018 Logan Marshall Green uh, movie, Upgrade. You know, this is a completely different genre. I mean, it's, it's sci-fi horror, but uh, I watched it again recently and it definitely held up. Uh, I'm just going to recommend, uh, it's very vague, but basically all of Martin Scorsese's stuff that isn't like gangster related stuff because I hadn't watched like it was going back to the De- departed and watching it, even though we didn't do the episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I kind of want to watch a lot more of his movies. And there's just so much stuff that he's done that just doesn't have that feel to it at all. Like I watched, I already mentioned, I watched silence, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. Um, Hugo was also really kind of a fun movie. I don't think it was a perfect movie, but it was just like a completely different style than anything mm-hmm. you're seeing here. But I also watched The King of Comedy, which I didn't know if I was going to like it all. It's uh, it stars uh, Robert De Niro as this like failed comedian who kidnaps Jerry Lewis <laughs> in order to try to get on television, and it's a very pessimistic yet funny and ironic movie that yeah everyone should go out and give that one a try um and so i was trying to think of something that i've you know like watched recently that i'd really want to like you know watch or rewatch that i want to recommend and I, I don't have anything so for the first time ever i'm gonna recommend a book Ooh, yeah i don't think we've had that happen yet, I, I, I don't think it's happened yet we don't read books and so. i know no one's gonna care <laughs> And no one's going to go out reading it. But I will tell you that I recently finished All the Light We Cannot See. And I have to say, in a long while, it's the first time a book, like, I finished it. And I was sad there wasn't more. Like, I was like, this book was so, like, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. So if you happen to read and not just view things, please read All the Light We Cannot See. Um, It takes place during World War II. um, And it's told from the perspective of a young German boy and a young French girl. Um, and it just kind of toggles back and forth, but it's very much their personal experiences of the war where obviously the boy eventually becomes part of like, you know, Hitler youth, um, and the young French girl who also happens to be blind, (laughs) um, so has, you know, has to deal with, you know, being taken over, um, you know, by the Germans occupying France and and all of this, but it's just really, really beautifully told. Um, it's very succinct and it's very logical and grounded, but at the same time, the, like, the language is just extremely descriptive like you really feel each scene and i felt like it's been a while since i've read anything that felt like that it was i don't know it struck me so there you go there's your first and last probably (laughs) well uh rick west doug thank you very much for being on the show and can we do a segment where we uh, say shows that we shouldn't watch oh sure yeah an (laughs) anti-recommendation or you could recommend not watching a show that's an experience all right all right not i I recommend not watching bird box um it's not it's not good (laughs) okay i turned it i tried watching it like three times and i kept cutting it off at like the 15 minute mark it it was just so dumb like the concept was really bad it was like a really bad ripoff of the happening like it was just awful (laughs) i think a bad ripoff of trying to watch it three times is uh i want to say more about you than anything else you know how much i see it on my timeline dude like um (laughs) <laughs> well, since Rico took up this much time, I'm also going to recommend uh, King of the Hill because I've been watching that recently. And uh, Hank Hill and Bobby and Peggy, whole gang. 
fun stuff. <laughs> They're still you just, there. Yeah. You're just recommending that because it's the pseudo sequel to Goodfellas. Can I have Changes you slowly read Henry the Hill five boroughs? <laughs> could, you, could you slowly read me the five boroughs of New York, please? Um, Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> Brooklyn. Wait, wait. Do it as do it as Hank Hill, though. Oh, I can't do it. You can do it. Yeah, you do it. Brooklyn. Yeah, Wes has a really good uh, Hank Hill. I can impression. only do his like main phrases. It's like right, give him one to send it off. God damn it, Bobby! <laughs> or uh, uh, I sell propane and propane accessories. <laughs> um, yeah, he's an impressionist. That's all I got, though. Um, yep, and remember, you can go to cinematicrespect.com and you can see all of our old episodes. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't, or leave us a review on iTunes. And we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Also, Ray Liotta is a terrible, like, on screen laugher. Oh my gosh, like, oh, it's yeah. horrible. Like, one of the things that famously just, like, killed me. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just any cackle is just bad. It's I mean, so it's terrible. A, it's a meme at this point. Oh, it yeah. reminds me yeah. of, like, yeah, yeah. when kids are little and, like, the over the top, like, like, you've had too much sugar type laugh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, that's what it makes me think of. I wonder if that was on purpose. Like, I. <laughs> Have we heard Ray Liotta laugh in anything else? <laughs> I don't know. It's maybe the only thing I've heard him laugh um, in. Spoiler alert. I'm not sure I've seen Ray Liotta in anything <gasps> else. Yeah, that's oh. what I was just thinking, too. Have you seen Field of Dreams? No. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay, he's in that. That's true. I don't think he laughs in that. I think he's just kind of surprised that he's been resurrected. Yeah. Well, you know, I would be. <laughs> that's it. He's been in Goodfellas and Field of Dreams. And no, that's he obviously has other things. That was the first one that came to mind. Uh, he was in <laughs> Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Oh, God. You're listing like the worst <laughs> things he's ever done. For that is awesome. That's what was that, number really two cool. on IDMB? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know.